Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So we're continuing a series that we've been in for a couple weeks now. Uh, that's called Relent, and the emphasis of it is kind of twofold. It's kind of this twofold thing. Uh, Lent is a period leading up to Easter that Christians all over the world for generations have kind of set apart as a preparation time for Easter, right? Just to kind of mentally and spiritually prepare myself for what I'm about to celebrate, this incredible thing where God became man, died, rose again, conquered death, sin, all, all this deep stuff that we could talk about all day long, but that's the the main emphasis of Easter, right? The the transformation of the entire world because of what Jesus did. So the 40 days plus Sundays, they don't count Sundays. Don't ask me why. Something the Latins came up with, I think, Um, but they don't count Sundays. So 40 days plus Sundays leading up to Easter is this period of Lent where you set aside even more so your life to prepare yourself for Easter. Well, on top of that, we're kind of playing on words, too, with the series, right? This relent idea that we're going to relent to all God has for us, like this plan that God has for us that sometimes is mysterious to us, but that we can experience as we put ourselves in a place to hear from Him, to to experience His presence with others, and to hear from others as they share their stories of how God has worked in their life. And so the first week, we um, were in this series, we focused on relying completely on God's Spirit. So this idea that God's presence has to determine my actions, my thoughts, where, where I go, who I'm with, how I think. All of this, all of this influence of, of God's presence in my life has to become very real to me. It has to become a relationship that I have with Him. And that's how transformation happens. It, it directly lined up with our our key goal or our, our, our part of our mission statement, kind of the biggest thing we want to see God accomplish in our lives is to be made new. We use this language of made new. So one more made new is a, a phrase you'll see us using a lot. It's on our business cards. You see it anywhere because we're, we're asking God, okay, make me new, make me new into the image of you, into who you designed me to be, but then continue to make others new. And it comes from that story that Jesus tells, the parable of the shepherd who has the 99, but still goes after the one that is, is lost and, and runs after that one sheep to bring them back to the fold. And this is that idea, that we must rely on God's presence, God's spirit, to do this work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And it's symbolized in the, in the Christian world God's presence is by light, and so it's a part of the reason why we light a candle, and we discussed the power of light piercing darkness, right? Week two, we talked about responding to Jesus extravagantly. It's the story in Mark 26, the very beginning of Mark 26, where a woman pours out all of this expensive oil on Jesus as a response to Jesus. And this idea of responding to Jesus extravagantly is not just in my response directly to him, some sort of worship or prayer time or Um, just talking back to him, but actually the greatest way I respond to Jesus is by pouring my life out for others, by imitating him, that as he came, gave up his life, his privileges as God to become human, to do what he did, then I turn around and I do that in the life of others. And so 
this um, idea of overflow or, or the presence of God flowing out of us connects with the first part of our, our mission statement of talking about seeking all people, that I go after other people, I run hard after other people who don't know the love of God, the way Jesus ran after me, the way he came after me when I didn't even know he was at work in my life. And that value also lines up with a, a practice that the church does called baptism, right? And this idea that the overflowing, the, the water flowing on me, the, the love of God, the presence of God flowing on me is not meant to stop with me, but it's the image of, usually you do baptisms as much as you can in a moving water, like in a river or something, because the image is that as it's flowing onto me or into me, then it needs to be flowing out of me too. That's how living water works. It doesn't stop with me. I'm not a lake. I'm not a pond. I'm not stagnant because that's where death occurs, right, instead of life. And so it flows through me. I know y'all are looking at something. Does it keep going off? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> that's all right. Last week we had technical difficulties with the Bluetooth. So if you're listening on the podcast, we're having technical difficulties with the uh, TV screens this week. So it's fun. Um, so we got rely on God's Spirit, respond to Jesus extravagantly. And then this week we're looking at gathering at the table, which will coordinate with the physical act of communion. And what we're focusing on is, um, what we're focusing on is reclaiming God's created rhythm. Reclaiming God's created rhythm. So why do we gather at the table? I'm going to mess with it while I'm talking because I know what I'm doing. Um, Why do we gather at the table? Why do you gather at tables with people? Um, You probably gather to eat meals, to have coffee, to have meetings, right? You gather around tables for a variety of reasons in your life. And usually it's in those moments of gathering with people that you actually connect with them at a level that you can't when you're just passing them by, right? When you're just having a conversation as you're walking across campus or you're just texting back and forth or whatever it is you're doing in passing, you don't connect with someone at a deep enough level until there's space for that connection to happen, right? Until there's space for that connection to happen. And so the table becomes a place where that happens for us. And these rhythms of actually like eating meals with people, sitting down for coffee with people, sitting down for meetings with people, especially in the workplace, you typically do that a lot, right? Or in school, you're at a table, aren't you? You're at a table as you're listening to someone lecture. These are actually rhythms in our life. And sometimes we don't realize how important those rhythms are, but we were created for those rhythms. And when we're not working in that rhythm, we're, we're in chaos a lot of the times. And our culture actually teaches us, our world, our, our humanness, teaches us to live a life of chaos, if we're honest. Because our culture and our world, kind of our humanness, teaches us to go after whatever the next thing is I desire, right? That wherever my desire takes me, or whatever is entertaining me, or whatever thing I need to get done next, the immediacy of the moment, right? And, and the world or even my own humanness, does not teach me to have any sort of rhythm to my life. It teaches me to actually live in chaos, moment by moment, taking and grabbing whatever's the next thing, and and we just end up in a place that I don't think any of us really think we'll ever be in. 
but we end up in a place of stress usually. A lot of times you end up in a place of loneliness, right? And there's a weightiness to your life when it's chaotic that isn't there when there's some sort of rhythm to it, right? When there's some sort of balance and rhythm to your life, it's just a completely different experience. And this is what God created us for, is this rhythm and this balance. So we're going to say that this morning. If you're new with us, then you're not used to this. But sometimes during certain series, I'll have, I'll have y'all repeat after me because it helps hit home this truth or this talking point for us this morning. That is, we must reclaim God's created rhythms. So you're going to say, reclaim God's created rhythms. Say that with me. Reclaim God's created rhythms. We're going to see if we can't get this working. How about them apples? So, we're going to be reading out of the scripture, uh, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30. This is what the Word of God has to say, um, and it's a story about Jesus and his disciples. It's called the Last Supper a lot of the times, or um, the last meal. Anyways, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, that's also called Passover, if y'all don't know, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Jesus told them, as you go into the city, you'll see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them, and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, remind us yet again of the rhythms of, of your creation that you've created us for, the rhythms of your people that you've created us for in the midst of our sometimes busy and chaotic lives, many times stressful lives. We ask that you would steady our souls, that you would gather us together in these moments, that we might hear from you and become more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, God, throughout the history of his scriptures, when you read the scripture, starts to create rhythm for his people whom he's created. 
And it's from day one, right? We get the story of Genesis, which is a poetic story, not a scientific story, if you ever knew that. Um, but the poetry of Genesis 1 gives us this rhythm of God's days. Isn't that incredible? Where he creates, and then there's evening and, not, and day, and then he creates again, and there's evening and day, and he creates again, and it's this rhythm. And then by the last day, what does he do? He rests. He declares it what the, the Jewish word is, Sabbath. And it's a day of rest or renewal. So God, from day one, even though he didn't have to, God could do whatever he wanted, he lived in rhythm, created in rhythm, and then created us in the midst of a world that was working in rhythm. Then as you work throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he sets up things for his people to do that create rhythms to their lives. And now, if you study the history of God's people, they were an agrarian people, so a lot of these things he institutes also follow the agrarian calendar, the harvest season and things like that, but he did it on purpose. It wasn't some just random thing that God would choose to say, hey, why don't you set up this week-long festival at this time, this time, and this time? God always does things very intentionally, and so the first of the festivals he sets up is this one that we're reading about, that they're celebrating thousands of years after he had instituted it with his people, and it's the festival of unleavened bread or the Passover, and it celebrated what he did with Moses in the Exodus, right? That his people had been enslaved for 400 years, and he freed them from slavery through the work of Moses, leading them out of Egypt through the waters and towards the promised land, right? So this incredible salvific event, this part of salvation history or redemption history, where God had already been at work saving people, now we get it in the context of Jesus. Jesus, who declares himself as God. Jesus, who we know to be, if, you, if, if you've studied scripture, to be a man who declared himself as the Son of God, as the representation of God on earth, and therefore was killed for it, because some people thought he was crazy for saying something like that, right? So they killed him. He takes this festival that had already been a part of the routine and rhythm of life, of God's people, and then connects himself directly with it. It says, you think the salvation of God's people in the Old Testament was huge. Now this festival is going to be connected to the salvation of all people. He's, he says, not in Matthew's gospel, but another gospel, shares the same story and gives the detail that Jesus says, my blood will now be shed for the many, for the forgiveness of sins for people all people, not just Jewish people, not just the people I set up in the Old Testament, but all people now have the ability to come into a relationship with God through my death and resurrection. And so this rhythm or routine, this activity of the Lord's table of communion, of whatever you want to call it, the high churches call it the Eucharist, this celebration around a table that Jesus continues. He doesn't institute it. Too many times Christians think in a silo, and we think somehow Christianity is just devoid from the Old Testament people of God. We're continuing a rhythm that God had instituted in his people. Now we're up to like 4,000 years ago, y'all. This, this has been a long time celebrated of God's salvific work in the world, meaning God saving people from slavery, from sin, from our own mess and darkness. And so this rhythm of God's people comes to today, continues to today. It's something we will practice this morning. 
But there's two observations in this passage as you read it that I want to point out. Last week I pointed out two, and this week I'll point out two again. That as you read this story, there are these two kind of big things going on that are not just a part of the story, but are, but are reasons why the story's happening. The first one I, I hinted at already, which is this transformative power of God, the salvific power of God at work in the midst of a kind of normal meal. It's the idea that you take this ordinary act of eating and drinking together. Now, today we don't eat and drink together as much. We just take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and put it in our mouth. But it's the act that is this normal act. We do this all the time, right? We eat and we drink all the time, literally. And yet, in these moments that we set aside to say, I'm doing this act of eating and drinking to remember the work of God and who he is and who I am in light of him, there's a power at work, an extraordinary power at work, God's power at work to transform me in that moment. In the midst of a normal everyday act, I now experience something extraordinary and supernatural. And it's possible that that happens, right? It's possible that it happens. Because it happens in a lot of other ways, too. When we sing, when we sing, nothing special happens. But when we sing to God, God shows up in ways in our lives that we can't explain. When I talk to other people, sometimes nothing really happens other than a conversation. But when I begin to talk to God and listen for how this God can speak to me, speak to my heart, then all of a sudden, Things happen in a way that I can't explain. They're supernatural. They're spiritual things at work in my life through ordinary means, ordinary happenings in my life. And one of those is this meal. It's not a special meal. There's nothing special about bread or juice or wine or whatever elements people use. I've heard of um, a group of Christians that were meeting, uh, started meeting in a Moe's for, for church, and so they used chips and high C. Like, it doesn't matter What's being used, the ordinariness of what's being used doesn't matter. It's the extraordinariness, the supernatural ability of God to show up in my life in the midst of very ordinary things. That's a powerful lesson that is portrayed through this, right? Jesus takes bread, breaks it, and says, this is as if it's my body that's about to be broken for you. And then takes wine or juice and has them drink from it and says, this is as if it's my blood being shed for you, right? There's something at work through these ordinary things in our life to save us, to transform us, to take us out of our mess and into his presence. But the second thing at work in this story that I hope you pick up on, there's some harsh words about what Judas is going to do from Jesus for sure, and we could spend a long time talking through those and reconciling how difficult those words are to hear in our 21st century American sensibilities, right? It had been better if you had not been born, right? That's a very harsh thing for the God of the universe to say. But there's this incredible moment here where Judas is at, at the meal with them, y'all. Like, the, Judas is there, present. Jesus doesn't exclude Judas from the meal. He doesn't not serve Judas communion. There's this incredible moment, powerful moment happening here, where even in the midst of the weakness and sinfulness of humanity, even in the midst of 
our brokenness and mess that then we come to Jesus with, he's not taken back by it, and he doesn't exclude us from his presence because of it. Jesus doesn't look at Judas and say, oh, I know what you're about to do. You just need to leave. Like, no. He eats with him the Passover meal, celebrating God's work in the world of saving people. He communes with him and offers him salvation nonetheless. It does not phase Jesus that Judas is broken and sinful and trying to come to to some sort of reconciling idea of who Jesus is doesn't phase Jesus. And it reminds us that it's at these moments at the table with other people where we deeply connect, but it's also at these moments at the table with Jesus, at the communion table with God, that we connect with God in a deep way that just doesn't happen at other times. That it opens us up to experience the presence of God in a way that doesn't just happen in the normal, everyday activity of life. That there are these sacred moments, in the church they call them sacraments, these sacred moments that just are different from the rest of life, that are just set apart of life. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true in other areas of our life. It's why we have wedding ceremonies. It's why we have funerals. It's why we have graduations. There's, there's nothing new to this in the human experience. There's nothing new to this that would cause us to buck against the idea that God would want to set up special times for his people to interact with one another and with him in very special ways. And so we must embrace it as a part of the way God created us to work. And so the truth this morning is that we must reclaim God's created rhythm. Say that with me. We must reclaim God's created rhythm. I know in my own life, and I have a feeling it's true in your life, that when I'm struggling the most, when my life seems most chaotic, most stressful, I feel most isolated from other people, that it takes some sort of normality, normal rhythm, some sort of normal activity in my life to kind of rebalance me. So, it, it, it doesn't even matter. This isn't even necessarily some super deep spiritual principle. It has deep spiritual ramifications, if I allow it to, but we know this to be true. You, you, one day, some of you all will have children. Some of you are, have already had kids. I have a child. Any parenting book will tell you the most healthy thing for a young kid is a, is a rhythm. It's a, a, an order. They need to know that their life has an order to it that it's just not all chaos and things don't just happen when they happen, but they have a time where they wake up and they take a bath and they go to bed and they eat. Like, that sounds so basic. And it is. God created us in such a basic way, in such a way that as humans we need rhythms in our life. And when my life is out of order, when, when I feel chaotic or I feel like sin or evil is winning, then I start to act in ways that I don't even want to act, right? I treat people in ways I don't want to treat them. I, I say things that I don't mean. I harm other people in my life, right? When, I, when I'm out of whack, when my life is out of order and chaotic, 
then I actually end up hurting other people. And I typically also hurt myself. I typically also start to do things just to make myself feel better in the moment because my life is out of order. And God, what he wants to remind me through these setting aside of moments in my life, and I can do it daily, right? I can create rhythms in my life daily of prayer, of reading scripture, of, of talking with others in my life. I can create rhythms in my life weekly. This is another rhythm that I need to create in my life, that I need in my life to commune with God and with his people, to remind myself what God has already accomplished, the salvation he has already accomplished for humanity, what he has already done through the work of Jesus Christ, and what he wants to do in my life to make me more like Jesus. This morning, as we look towards communion, as we look towards celebrating this meal together, I encourage you to think about that, to think about what it is in your life that is creating chaos and where it is in your life that you can find rhythm on a daily basis. But you might want to also reflect as we go into our time of response later, how is it that God's calling you specifically to create rhythms in your life spiritual rhythms in your life, rhythms related to him in your life, not just normal everyday rhythms, but rhythms related to your relationship with him that will allow you to come out of the chaos of this world and to find the full presence of God transforming you as well. Where can you reclaim God's created rhythm for your life? So we need to say reclaim God's created rhythms one more time. Say it with me reclaim God's created rhythms.